2: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun.
0: Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and
2: conditions. 18 plus.
0: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
2: Hello, another weekend's Premier League action is upon us. And of course, that means another preview podcast from us here at Football Social Daily. The festive fixtures are fast approaching. How will sides fare in the calm before the storm? The most thunder will likely come at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, where Spurs have the chance to earn bragging rights over their bitter rivals, Arsenal, and stay top of the Premier League table whilst doing so. That's top billing in the top flight this weekend as fans will be present for the North London derby. Supporters will also be in situ at the London Stadium as fifth-placed West Ham are hoping to keep up their surprise package moniker against an inconsistent Manchester United. Two teams stuck in a rut, Clash 2 as the Blades play the Foxes. And Halloween may have been and gone, but Diogo Jota will want to haunt his former side as Wolves come up against Liverpool. All that and more to come here on Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with new shows every single day of the season. So hit subscribe and stay in the loop right through the festive fixture frenzy. I'm Niall and with me on today's show we have the Independence Northern Football correspondent Mark Critchley. How you doing Mark?
3: Not bad now, thanks. How are
2: you? Yeah, all good, all good. And also we've got Man City content creator Stephen McInerney. Alright Stephen? I'm not bad, man. Cold. Cold but good. <laughs>
1: Bloody cold today, that- isn't
2: it? I was just saying, you know when the yellow football's come out? Yeah. That we are definitely in for a winter a winter ride in the Premier League I've got um, uh, on
1: indoors so that's, that's uh, really, really you know, yeah but like don't old.
2: you don't you live in a flat with exposed brick they're always a bit colder aren't they usually
1: pretty warm actually yeah but like for whatever reason at the moment it's just super, I'm right near the window that's what, I'm sat next to the window basically so I was like I'm in the corner <laughs> the way of the flat but yeah anyway I, I'll warm up
2: if you hear some weird chattering through the podcast it's just <laughs> Stephen's teeth <laughs> as he's trying to make it through. Um, fans back this weekend, as I just said. Mark, are you looking forward to it? Taking in any any games down south this weekend?
3: No, I'm I'm exclusively in tier three. I'm afraid, so um, I won't won't be at any games with fans. But it is it is obviously you know I'm pleased to have them back because uh, I don't know. It's, it's people people can get a bit teary-eyed and a bit gushy about it but it's it's just a completely alien experience to be in a to be in a football stadium uh, without them there and you know although we've got a bit used to it over the last few months uh, i think everybody's trying to get in to just get back to a sense of normality and hopefully that'll be restored in those in those places where it, they can return this weekend
2: yeah i'd like to think so and let's start with the ground which will welcome Fans back. That's the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which plays host to the first North London derby of the season, Spurs versus Arsenal. It's a 4.30 kickoff on Sunday. And of course, you can't start talking about Tottenham without talking about what Jose Mourinho said in the press. He's actually said that form means nothing going into this game. Um, Taking that with a pinch of salt, Stephen, is he right? Or is this Tottenham's to lose considering their start in the Premier League this season compared with Arsenal's?
1: I think he'd probably have more of a point if um, you know, if the stadiums were full and fans were there and it was riotous and all that kind of stuff. But it isn't going to be, is it, really? I mean, even with a few fans there, it's not going to be the same kind of hostile atmosphere that you get at North London Derby usually. So he's, he's kind of got a point. Anyone can win in the Derby. But, I mean, the form does matter, you know? It, it does literally matter. There's a reason, unfortunately, I watched my, my City team get battered by United so much when I was younger, you know? It's because United were better and in a better form. So as much as he's kind of got a point, I think he's probably secretly pretty confident and so he should be because Arsenal are kind of very much confused, unfocused, uh, not really sure who they are at the moment. Whereas Spurs, they have an identity, you know, and that is going to matter in a game of this kind of stature.
2: I mean, Mourinho, he's supposed to be the master of mind games, Mark, isn't he? And, you know, he loves these big games. He relishes these big games. Is he just kind of covering his own backside, so to speak, after a, a not a poor performance in the Europa League midweek, but certainly an indifferent one? Just in case things do come a cropper against the Arsenal.
3: Potentially. I mean, like, having covered him at United, it was always there's always that element of, I don't know, paranoia or, yeah, like you say, covering his back. He might he might just be, yeah. you know, trying to play off two sides against you. So I saw he was talking about Kane's injury as well, and he he wasn't even being totally clear on that. He was like, yeah, he's fit, but I might be lying to you. And so there's always an element of that with Joes.
2: Mark kind of alluded to it there, Stephen, um, about this North London derby dynamic, so to speak. Tottenham are unbeaten in their last six games with Arsenal in the Premier League. They're higher up in the table... Is it fair to say that with everything that's gone on around Spurs in the last few seasons, even though they've lacked winning silverware, could you now class them as the A-side of this derby?
1: I mean, that's not reasonable. They literally reached the Champions League final, you know. So, like, um, and given the fact that both teams... I mean, Arsenal have won some things recently as well, I guess. They've won, you know, the FA Cup and uh, Community Shield kind of slightly cancelled something. Um, But, yeah, I think mean, it's fair to say Arsenal have been so up and down, so inconsistent, and Spurs have probably been... Uh, probably the better side overall, so I think that's probably a fair comment. They're certainly the better side this season. Um, they're certainly the one that people expect to win this game, and um, uh, that's not an unreasonable thing. I mean, they've been the Champions League regularly, you know, compared to Arsenal, been um, you know in and out. Um, mm. So at the moment, I think it's a very fair assertion that Spurs. Um, currently on the better side and currently i guess the the pride of north london so to speak i mean put it this way i mean if you if you count finishing above them as enough then then
2: definitely (laughs) well i mean from an arsenal perspective you're obviously going to be fond of Mikel arteta from his links with manchester city Obviously, you mentioned the fact that the Europa League game midweek lifted his side with fans present. There was only 2,000 inside the Emirates, which is, of course, a 60,000-seater stadium. They were rattling around a bit in the stadium there, but certainly it did feel like it gave Arsenal that little bit extra. For some reason, the Gunners have felt a little bit flat at the moment. Is there anything that you can put your finger on as to why that might be and anything that Arteta might have to do to get that undone, so to speak?
1: Um. I've just following general discourse from Arsenal fans it seems to be one of the biggest criticisms. seems to be that they don't really know who they are yet if that makes sense there's a lot of constant change and uh, strikers have lost a bit of creativity and the one thing you always associate with Arsenal in general uh, even when they were at the worst is like they still kind of played nice football and scored goals and they've lost a bit of that um, I saw some slight worrying signs for Arsenal's Uh, From a quote from Martetti the other day, he talked about how we had 33 crosses, which is the most he had in ages, and that was surely therefore mean goals, which is very much straight out of the Guardiola kind of textbook of like, (laughs) it really is annoyingly, City fans know things aren't going well when we start to just spam crosses, Um, and it feels like, I'm wondering a little bit if he's not really currently sure what to do, but he's only young, you know, he's a young manager, he's going to have to learn this kind of stuff, and obviously there is talent there. but he has to, to be honest, he has to do better. You know, he genuinely does. And uh, it seems to be that, you know, they haven't really found the creativity. The strikers have stopped scoring goals. You've got one of the best strikers in the league in um, Aubameyang. And a guy previously like Lacazette used to score some goals as well. And they've stopped kind of doing that. Um, and the team's changing regularly. So, Arsenal seem to be having a bit of an identity crisis at the moment. Um, Arteta could do it, but the thing is we just don't know yet because he's obviously so new to this game that we don't really know if he has the ability to turn it around.
2: Stephen mentioned Aubameyang there, Mark. Um, he's not really fired this season and we keep saying it on these preview podcasts, it's since he signed his new contract that he's just not been the same player. I mean, if there's a time for Aubameyang to rediscover that goal-scoring form, this is it, isn't it? North London derby?
3: You'd say so, yeah. And um, it is really quite shocking just his how he's dropped off and his levels. I think it's one goal from open play this season. In a team that's not scoring many goals from open play anyway and is relying on him Um, I do wonder sometimes whether Arteta's using him in his best role He does seem I know I know you there's always a temptation to look at strikers who play out on the wing and think well they should be playing centrally and up front because that's where the goal is and sometimes certain players are more effective on the wing because they can cut inside or whatever onto the stronger foot etc it just feels like Aubameyang's Something needs to change there, and perhaps putting him through the through the middle a little bit more, maybe partnering a little bit more with Lacazette, um, that sort of thing, could help inspire rediscovery of his form. But then we're talking about a player who's, you know, he, he's also getting on a little bit here. Um, he, if you look at his like his underlying statistics last season, he had a very good year, but he did overperform those statistics slightly, and so you do mm-hmm. wonder whether. Maybe maybe they jumped the gun a little bit, and you know I'm not saying it was a wrong decision not to renew that contract because he became such a an important player for the team. But you know the the questions we've asked over the last five years or so have all been about recruitment, yeah. and you wonder whether there was actually a brave decision to make there to say, you know, thanks thanks Pierre, but <laughs> see you later, and you know we'll go out and we'll find a much younger striker and somebody that we can rely on for for years and years to come. Yeah. And now they're kind of. They might be stuck with somebody who's really on in, on the decline. Mm-hmm. But- yeah,
2: it feels like you can make a cliche about eggs and baskets there with that one, Mark. To be honest, um, Bamiang certainly needs to find that goal-scoring touch because Arsenal don't look the same side when he doesn't. A man who certainly knows where the back of the net is is Harry Kane, who, by the way, could become the outright top scorer in North London derbies in the Premier League if he scores against Arsenal. That game kicks off on Sunday at 4:30 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Another game which takes place a few miles east of that is at the London Stadium, where West Ham United welcome Manchester. United. This one kicks off at 5:30 on Saturday. Uh, the Hammers. They're going well, Stephen. They're fifth in the Premier League table, which has surprised a few. My question is, can they maintain it? My immediate thoughts would be no. But they've surprised more than a few people already this season.
1: Um, I don't think so either. you expect? That's one of those things where you kind of just don't realise they're there until you go, oh, oh yeah, they are kind of there. You know, it's um, it's a start of the season where it's you don't. I mean, to be honest, it feels like the start of the season where anyone who's had a good run of form at the start could be top of the league uh, and up there, if that makes sense, because mm. Spurs are at the top and they've only won six games out of ten. And when you consider the previous stands in the Premier League where, you know, we've had a hundred point kind of seasons and all that kind of stuff, I think it's fair to say it's been a bit of a slow start for many teams. Um, so West Ham, fair play to them. They've had a good, solid start. And as a result, they're up there, you know, only four points off the top of the league currently. Um... And fair play, you kind of, like, oh, 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 I've had no emotional attachments, i Moyes, always, but I am kind of slightly happy that a guy who gets beaten up so much, um, mm-hmm. you know, and he gets so much criticism, he's uh, finally having a little bit of luck. And a good friend of mine is a West Ham fan. He's absolutely obsessed with Jared Bowen. He thinks he's brilliant. You know, obviously, Declan Rice is turning heads. They've got a system that seems to work for them now, you know, in general. They know what they're doing. They're pretty well drilled. And I think they're probably just benefiting from having a bit of time. And for once, maybe a little bit of consistency. Um, I know he's only short, so because consistency compared to some teams mm. but West Ham um they're just kind of doing their job if that makes sense and um doing yeah. it better than some others and I think it's just because they're you know um and once again I think the consistency has been really important for them and we look for the team it's not like players apart from a couple it's, it's not like players who weren't there last season you know it's just um they're just kind of cracking on and organized and Moyes has done really well post lockdown for them so fair enough
2: it's interesting you say that, because you're not the first Manchester City fan that I've heard praise David Moyes. Considering the stick that he's got from some quarters in the Premier League over the years, I mean, although they are fifth, the league table is weirdly deceptive right now. Man- Manchester United can actually go into the top four, albeit briefly, if they do beat Manchester uh, if they do beat West Ham United at the weekend. So, who knows? Um, but as for United. Mark you'll know having covered them for a while now it's a bit like a lottery this season sometimes they're great and sometimes they're awful so i mean it's hard to put your finger on which united are going to turn up sometimes
3: yeah welcome to my life i feel like <laughs> i feel like you know i am one week right and so and you try and be consistent in this job you know you try and to be fair i think i, I do my best at it and you try to have a just a, just one stance on how things are going but the performances and the results sometimes as well are just so volatile that it really can be quite difficult to gauge exactly where united are at any one moment and i think um you know after the the game against psg the other night it was it was an all-round decent performance like let down by some really kind of critical and basic mistakes whether that's marshall's finishing mm-hmm. or whether it's the whole Thing about whether Fred should have been substituted or not, you know those kind those mm. type of mistakes. They always feel like they're in them, whether that's the management or the players. And you, you look at this little run of fixtures they've got now, uh, and and even this this next week that's coming up, starting with West Ham. Then there's Leipzig away, obviously need a point at Massive least to, right, to go through. It? That's huge. Mm. And then after that, you've got the Manchester derby. And you know, even mm. if we're projecting a little further beyond that, th- their Christmas isn't particularly easy either. So it feels like we're back in this situation after a few good weeks, and a pretty good November, really, um, all told. It feels like we're back in a situation where perhaps this time next week, the pressure starts to build again, and there's a little bit more scrutiny that increases. And the thing about Solskjaer is he, he tends to pick up a result um, as, soon as, that, as soon as that pressure reaches yeah. fever pitch, he, he suddenly pulls one out of the bag. Um, I don't think we're there yet, and I find it really difficult to, to call which which way this game's going to go tomorrow um, mm. for that reason that, uh, you know, if, if United get a result, it will probably depend on Bruno Fernandes pulling one out of the bag as usual or a penalty or something like that. But otherwise, otherwise, it's difficult to see because West Ham, I've been really impressed with West Ham. They're really well drilled and organized. They've done really yeah. well against against top sides. They had a long run of tough fixtures and, and they came through really impressively. So, um, yeah, I find it a difficult one to call.
2: Yeah, you do feel that pressure will again mount on Oleg and Asolsky if West Ham do get the victory over Manchester United. And talking of David Moyes, soon as you both mentioned him, with we've, we've spoken about him on the podcast uh, over the last couple of weeks about. You know his time at Everton and about how he managed to get Everton in the top eight. I think only once did he finish outside of the of the top eight with Everton in his in his time there, albeit it was 18 years ago when he first first walked through the door at Goodison Park. But still, I think sometimes forget people forget his achievements prior uh, to joining Manchester United in 2013. Anyway, you say about Bruno Fernandes, Mark. He's looking to become the first Man United player to score in six consecutive away league games since Dennis Law did it in 1964. So his impact on Manchester United since his arrival cannot be understated. Uh, Another player who's looked all right since he's arrived uh, from PSG, Stephen, is Edinson Cavani, although I think it was a free transfer by the time he signed on in the summer. Um, He looked good against his former club in the Champions League. He hit the crossbar. He scored a couple of goals last week to win the three points for United against Southampton. And with Marcus Rashford injured again with a shoulder problem and Anthony Martial not firing at all, uh, missing a couple of guilt-edged chances against Paris, is Cavani now looking like their most dangerous option up front?
1: Um, well, I mean, he's an option they should definitely lean on, you know. Obviously, Cavani's, um, even though he didn't play for god knows how long after walking out of PSG, um, he's still a quality striker. I, to be honest, he was one I kind of wanted to see, given the fact that City were gonna have problems, you know, with Aguero's injuries and Jesus and stuff. I kind of wanted an experienced, wily striker around, and I think he's a little bit different to you know, people like Igallo who've signed previously because Cavani is just genuine proven quality, even though he's obviously getting on a little bit, he's still, um. He's still obviously got it. So I have looked over slightly enviously, um, having that, you know. So it is a little bit different for them as well because Martial, you know, Rashford, Greenwood, they feel a bit different to Cavani. Um, you know, he's obviously more experienced than the end of him. Um, his game is a little bit more wily. He's a little bit more likely to sniff at a, a tap in. And it looks like Greenwood's form has dropped off a tiny bit as well. He's not really scoring those like rocket kind of like 20-yard goals as much as he used to. Um and Marshall is in great form. So, I mean, it, it'd be silly to have someone like Cavani and I guess not give him a go um, if they are struggling in front of goal. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if he did start. But at the same time, he, he could just kind of trust in a guy who wasn't... Martial was in great form, wasn't he? Like kind of around post the first lockdown. But he's kind of since the start of the season, he's been a bit slow. But he obviously has it. It's just he's a bit of an enigma, constantly an enigma.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's I think it's easy to forget that he's been at the club for five years now, Anthony Martial. Um, maybe that level of consistency is what's frustrating some United fans that he can't quite reach here. Anyway, West Ham United versus Manchester United at the London Stadium. Saturday, 5.30pm kickoff in front of supporters, which should be nice, of course. Two games there, the North London derby and West Ham versus Man United, both being played in front of fans, which is good to see. Time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily, but more Premier League action to discuss after this.
0: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social.
2: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Some more Premier League fixtures to discuss now. And we're going to start this section of the show by heading to Anfield, where Liverpool take on Wolverhampton Wanderers in the evening Sunday kickoff, 7.15pm start. And depending on what happens in the North London derby mark, it's a good opportunity uh, for Liverpool to go top of the table. Jurgen Klopp would be wanting that to happen. He's built this mentality amongst his players, even the ones that don't really feature that often, that... You know, it's win at all costs and they tend to get the job done even when they are weakened due to injuries, which is continuing to be the case there at Anfield.
3: Yeah, it is. Um There's probably not going to be any Allison this weekend, which is like another blow, if you like. Um, Even though Kravine Keller was really impressive against Ajax in midweek, Um it isn't ideal mm. if you're going in with a, in a goalkeeper with his level of inexperience into a game against Wolves, I don't think. But at the same time, Um, they've got potentially Trent Alexander-Arnold coming back and I think I think he's huge because even before he he got injured in that game against City I I don't think he was quite reaching the kind of creative heights that he he was last year so if he can come back having you know obviously recovered from an injury but also got a little bit of rest as well in this like most condensed of seasons and and he can start to Mm. find the form that he showed last season then I think that's that's huge for them. It really is massive because he's their playmaker. You know, he's, he's their De Bruyne, if you like. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's at Anfield, 64 games unbeaten, I think it is now. That's like the second longest uh, unbeaten home record in top flight history. So, Given Wolves' problems, I wouldn't really be expecting much else than than a Liverpool win.
2: Yeah, it's a remarkable record that they've got at Anfield. I mean, Mark doesn't fancy Wolves, Stephen, but I mean, can they feel slightly confident that there might be a chink in the Liverpool armour or do you think it will just be a case of the winning machine rolls on?
1: Um, I don't think Wolves should be too fearful, you know, I mean, they're not obviously... In great form, not in terrible form either. You know, they're currently sat in seventh, which is a very Wolves place to be. Um, <laughs> so I mean, it's it's just, they're always set Wolves and <laughs> seventh. It's like United and six for a while, wasn't it? But like, um, but I mean, obviously, the big bug for them is, you know, Jimenez, unfortunately. Like, obviously, they've had yeah. uh, fingers crossed he's going to be all right because it's it, a truly terrible injury. Um, but that. He's their talisman, and we, we can't really look past that. And in a game against Liverpool, where chance is going to be a premium, you haven't got someone like the quality of him. That's obviously going to affect them. But having said that, Wolves still still do have quality. They still do have pace. And the thing for them is, of course, you know they might just decide to put you know a over on Nico Williams, who's young and you know and raw, and say just run at him, you know, and make a little mm-hmm. bit of space because Liverpool's defense has been suffering from some injuries. Obviously, Alexander Arnold might play, of course, but um, it's. It, there is potential. I mean, I'm, I'm really, as a City fan, I'm hoping for the best here. But, like, um, I don't think Wolves should be, I don't think they should give up, basically. I am not know they're going to give up, but I do feel like there's yeah. something potentially there for them. Um, and they're only, like, you know, they're only currently four points behind Liverpool in the table. Um, it's Wolves. Wolves can sometimes turn up against, you know, uh, uh, the bigger teams, can't they, usually, traditionally? It's the kind of mid-table teams that Wolves we'll sometimes let themselves down a little bit against. Um, and I want to say this because I've been burned once again as a City fan with Wolves beating us you know, last season twice. So, um, they're, they're Wolves. They could be really good or they could just be a little bit underwhelming. But they've got too many individual quality players to write them off for of me.
2: Yeah. As you say, Raul Jiménez won't be playing because of that awful fractured skull that he suffered last week against Arsenal. And, He's obviously had an operation on that. It's been quite covert, so to speak, as to whether we know if he's going to come back or not. And if he does come back, how he'll be able to operate. Will he be able to operate at the same level? Nobody knows. It's all very up in the air at the moment. But for the time being, they're going to be without him, Mark. And as Stephen says, they do have options, uh, no less than the 35 million striker that they paid for in the summer, Fabio Silva. He's only young. He's not had much game time, but this is a real opportunity for him if he does get the nod.
3: If he does, yeah. I, I mean, he is a player that I think we nobody really knows about. When they signed him for that yeah. insane amount of money he'd played, I, I don't have the stat on the top of my head, but it was only a real handful of minutes of senior football. Um, and so to shell out that much money on him, it, it's a huge show of faith. I wonder whether they've got enough faith in him to start him at Anfield. I think that's a big ask. I know he came on yeah. for Jimenez um, at Arsenal. I, I think they might go with, with Neto, who isn't that much older. I think he's only 20, um, but he's got two and two. And you, I, I was quite impressed with him during the restart uh, back end of last season. He's a potential option. You could, I, if, if I'm if I'm the Wolves manager, I really like Steven's idea of putting Traore up against Nico Williams because I imagine that that's going to be a bit of a baptism of fire for, for Nico Williams, but you could even put him through the middle mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're right. There, there are options there, but my thing with Wolves is that they just don't score a lot of goals and their goal scorer has is now, is now, you know, they don't have their goal scorer anymore yeah. either. Um, I think they've yeah. got 11 this season and zero goal difference. They don't concede much. They don't score much. That's them. And I feel like Liverpool are just a bit yeah, strong. It, it, do
2: you know what? Funnily enough, Mark, speaking to some Wolves fans recently that I've spoken to, some of them have said that it's weird that they're in 7th because they don't feel that performance-wise they've actually been as good as they were last season but yet they've actually got off to a better start such as the way the season's been weird.
1: That's what I was saying before about mm. how the other season like no one's been really that impressive. I don't I don't, think, I don't think even Spurs have been that impressive in my personal opinion. They've been good but I mean against against City you know they beat City like, they were they only had like four shots you know against 22 and then against Chelsea they they, they were mainly defending as well. Mm. So I think it's, it's like yeah Wolves are up there in 7th yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't think anyone's been that great personally. I mean, obviously West Ham might disagree, but I think it's a very open start to the season where we're looking at people going, oh, they're in four. It's like, well, they haven't really done that well or whatever, you know, in general. Mm. I think
2: actually, I think actually Diogo Jota has been impressive. I don't know what you think, Mark. Obviously, it's been a week or so since he's last scored, but... I mean, last month was brilliant for him. <laughs> you know, just coming into the side and and almost dislodging some of the the fearsome front three, Firmino, Salamane, and he's come in and he's slotted in and he's performed really well. So up against his former employers, he's going to want to make an impression.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think it's about, it's usually about this time of the year where we start to reflect, having a few months, you start to think who's been the sign in of the season. And he's certainly in that conversation, probably alongside Hoiberg at Tottenham. Those two stand out for me. Um, and it was one that kind of well, it, it it almost went under the radar to the extent there wasn't months and months of rumours and the whole uh, speculation and saga about it. But but when it happened, you just felt mm. oh wait this makes sense. You know he's a player who's shown bits in spurts for Wolves. He's, he's Premier League experience, pedigree, and he can slot into that front uh, the front three and replace any single one of them uh, at any given moment. And he's he's young as well. I mean I think I think he's like 22 or something like that. So. You know mm-hmm. he, he's one for the future in that sense as well. Um, so a really impressive piece of business, and and yeah, and I, we say about slotting into the front three there. They almost Liverpool almost don't have any centre midfielders at the minute because of the injury problems. So he's playing all four of them, and again, it's it's not looking like it's too top heavy. Like Klopp's still managing to get a balance out of it, and um, yeah, I, I've been. I think given all the problems that Liverpool have had, you know, if we're talking about who's really impressive. I've been yeah. I have been genuinely impressed by how Liverpool have managed to deal with all these injuries and, and get through it and still kind of maintain themselves in that top in that top 3. And I think it's them Tottenham Chelsea and City who I think will come on a lot better. They they seem like the four strongest to me and it's really close between those four but but yeah, yeah. um I I'm probably just given that Liverpool look like Virgil van Dijk's back in back in training. Well, not back in training. Back in the gym today, at least. Back at the training ground. I say is he? he, is, he? Yeah, it <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. training. after Zlatan's record of, uh, <laughs> yeah. record
2: time to get back from uh, a knee injury. But even certainly, I've been impressed with Jota. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah even that's impressive. So yeah, I think uh, Jota may perhaps sign in the season and Liverpool. Strong
2: for me. Yeah, definitely. He's in my fantasy team as well. So I'll be back uh, backing Diogo <laughs> Jota to back a couple. Certainly I'm bottom of the table at the moment, so I need him to. Um, Liverpool have actually won their last seven top flight games against Wolves by an aggregate score of 15 goals to two. So Wanderers will want to turn that one around. The next game we're going to talk about takes place at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea against Leeds, Saturday 8pm kickoff. This one could be fun, Stephen. I mean, this has got a fun fixture written all over it for me. Leeds, who can turn over anyone on their day against the Chelsea side in really good form. Um, Giroud, he's the key question for Frank Lampard. Should he start against Leeds, do you think, after his performance midweek? Or is it... Again, the case of stick with what you've been doing in the league for Frank Lampard. He
1: scored four goals. <laughs> like, uh, what me, more like, can he do? Yeah, I mean, I think mean, to be honest, I think mean, any player deserves to start after that. You know, I mean, to be honest, and an Abraham hasn't really been in electric form. So I don't see why not. Personally, I, I would start. I've, I've got a soft posture anyway. I think he's a good player. I mean, and I do think with strikers more than most positions, I would say is like you know just playing while they're hot. You know, And I think that's a very because you know. Try, it's the hardest thing in football to do is score a goal. We all know that. Um, so mm-hmm. you've got a guy who's just bagged four against a good team like Sevilla. We're not talking like you know some random uh, team from a considerably lower league. It's Sevilla. You know he's got four against a very good team. Um, so yeah, I would start him. And I got a feeling you're right. This game is going to be. Um, it could be potentially memorable. I feel like it's one of those <laughs> games where is there going to be some fans there? There will be, won't they? Yeah, Chelsea, yeah, yeah, I think so. It's the kind of game you wish he was going to be full, though, for, because he feels like it could be a 4-3 spectacular or something like that, you know, to either team, and um, and I'm I'm hoping it's going to be a good game.
2: Yeah, it's the perfect hat-trick for Giroud as well against Sevilla. Header, left foot, right foot and a penalty to to cap it off with his fourth. Chelsea have actually won seven of the last eight games in all competitions. I mentioned it just there, Mark. Leeds United, even though they're 12th, they still have this air of dangerousness about them. It doesn't matter who they play. It doesn't matter what stage of the season. It's sometimes a bit like shaking a magic eight ball and seeing what comes out in the other side with them sometimes.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like, this is a game, you pick it out. I think this is the game of the weekend in terms of just the potential for what could happen. I am like currently I'm currently in like high level negotiations for the T V tomorrow night in order to be able to watch this. So, <laughs> no. Because um Leeds' attack is and obviously we all know about the way to plays football and everyone's talked about it so much that don't need me to go on about it. But their attack is if you look at like stats and stuff like that, it's 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 basically level with Liverpool's is the best in the league. Um, The only thing they're not really doing is converting all the chances that they create. And Mm. once they start doing that, um, you know, it could be any scoreline. The other thing is though, on the, on the other hand with Chelsea, they've been so impressive defensively that this is, it's the case of, you know, the irresistible force against the immovable object. And you just don't, it's hard to gauge which is going to happen. I wouldn't be surprised if it finished one nil to Chelsea. You know, even though yeah. Leeds have been so impressive going forward, and it's got that whole there's the whole Spygate element to it as well. I was at the um, oh yeah, at, of course, yeah. I mean, I was at the I was at the Derby Leeds playoff semi-final at Ellen Road, which was the end of the season in which that all happened. And I think I've been I'd, I'd been at the Liverpool Barcelona game. You know, that the four 0 just like a couple of yeah. weeks before I was very very lucky you know to be at both but the the atmosphere there was even better than at Anfield that night it was even more kind of electric and volatile and intense and I don't know whether that's it's going to be quite the same given that we're talking about you know Lampard's no See. longer at Derby and he's at Chelsea now but it, there is an element to this game which I just find so intriguing and I just I feel like it, it could. I'm, I'm setting it up to disappoint here, and like I say, be yeah. one no, Chelsea, no. and and be yeah, exactly. But it feels like the game of the weekend to me, and I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to watching it if I, if I'm able to watch it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you need to get ownership rights of those of the TV yeah. remote at 8 p.m. Certainly, um, I definitely forgot about that Lampard versus Bielsa little backstage drama, if you mm-hmm. could call it that. I totally forgot that that happened. Um, maybe that will give it an extra edge. One player who might have a bit of an extra edge, personally, Stephen. Could be Patrick Bamford. Of course, he came through the Chelsea Academy. He was loaned out several times. I remember once he got loaned out to Middlesbrough and scored a bag full of goals and won the Championship Player of the Season, went back to Chelsea and they still didn't play him. They loaned him out again. Eventually, obviously he moved to Leeds on a permanent deal and he's been good for them since he's been there permanently uh, do you think that he might be able to prove something against his former club considering Chelsea never really gave him a chance?
1: Um, yeah definitely I mean I think probably Chelsea will feel slightly justified given the fact that you know he's like 27 or something like that now and he's only kind of just got back to the Premier League Um, but yeah he's a good player Um, I think if anything maybe Bamford was probably just a victim of being a bit too bit too early because obviously Chelsea used to have all these highly talented players and the fans were frustrated that they weren't using any of their multiple you know European Youth League and FA Cup winning side players and um, but he was a little bit before the current generation unfortunately and where I feel like if it, maybe if it came through now he would have been getting the chances that Abraham and Mount and so on got um but he's had a cracking start you know to the Premier League that I don't think anyone would have predicted. probably not even himself I mean he's he's I think he's seven in nine games so far compared to 16 in 45 last season. I think it was fair to say that, you know, as good a player as he was, maybe in front of goal was a slight weakness of his in terms of putting up put He's been brilliant um, and it could be that he's just, you know, excelling um, excelling in the pressure of the Premier League and he's got a bit of confidence and and good on him. Um, I hope he scores tomorrow because it would be good for him, wouldn't it?
2: You'd like to think that he will have that little bit of added motivation coming up against his former side um Chelsea's record against newly promoted teams is ridiculous, by the way. 68 wins in 83 matches against promoted clubs. That is the best record of any team in the Premier League era. So the odds are certainly against Leeds, but it doesn't feel that they're even a promoted side lead, such is the nature of the way they played the game. Anyway, yeah. Chelsea against Leeds, Saturday, 8 pm kickoff. Next up, Sheffield United versus Leicester, Sunday, 2 15. Two teams mark in, in terrible form. There's no other way of putting it. Obviously. Sheffield United are in worse form of the two. Um, But possibly a good time for them to play Leicester City, though, with the Foxes also looking out of sorts.
3: Yeah, potentially. Um, You know, nothing's gone right for Sheffield United at the start of the season, I don't think. Um, But even with that being said, their performances probably haven't deserved a lot better either. Um, I think Mm. one of the issues there really with them is just kind of finishing, like, the amount... To have only scored four goals... Uh, they they weren't prolific last season either, but at this stage of the season, you just simply need to be doing better than that if you're going to have any chance of, of uh, never mind avoiding a relegation battle, but avoiding actually being relegated. Um, I wonder whether, I wonder whether Chris Wilder could change a few things up front and maybe maybe give Brewster a bit more of a chance alongside Lee Um switch out McBurney, something like that. But the thing is, what strikes me about Sheffield United is that. They were such an impressive unit last season. You know, they were a team, and and you could name that eleven basically uh, every single week. And then when they brought Sander Berger, you know, he he was the only one that really came in. But you know, if you take a few little cogs out, if you if you lose Henderson in goal, if you lose Jack O'Connell to an injury, I think Ender Stevens has missed the last few as well. Once you start picking a few players out, you know, things can quickly fall apart. And um, I think they, yeah, like I say. Maybe maybe it's just a case of finishing a few more chances, but they were never a team that was that, you know, that created many in the first place, and so it, it's difficult to see how he how he gets them back on the right track. Really, less they've got a chance with Leicester and with the injuries Leicester have. Yeah, but um, I I still would fancy Leicester for this one.
2: I think. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on as well. Jack O'Connell still out with a knee injury. Ender Stevens rated touch and go to play after being out for a while. Uh, and Ethan Ampadu, who's on loan from Chelsea, is also rated 50 50 to play yeah. for Sheffield United against Leicester this weekend. Uh, for the Foxes, bad news for them on Thursday. Stephen with Soyuncu limping off uh, in that Europa League loss to Zoria Luhansk, the Ukrainian team, um, with a it looked like a recurrence of the adductor injury or the groin injury that he's had for about six weeks now. So not good news. Um, Back to back Premier League defeats, a defeat to pretty much Europa League minnow midweek. Leicester not looking good. It's gone from good to bad in the space of uh, a few days, which is the nature of the season that we're in at the moment with the, you know, fixture list gonna get even more congested with Christmas coming up in the near future how does Rogers go about getting things back on track again because that is not the time you want a rot to set in of bad form when you've got games every couple of days coming up
1: it's difficult isn't it I mean obviously injuries form everyone everyone's gonna have up and downs at the moment I guess before that before the last you know couple of weeks they would have been delighted you know they're right up near the top um I do wonder um the biggest challenge for Rodgers now is to make sure they don't get too down on losing a couple of games and go look it's going to happen it's natural it's not acceptable of course but it's, it's going to happen every now and then due to tightness due to form and due to playing so many games and obviously they've got a busy schedule like all the other teams in Europe um, and he will be absolutely ridiculously focused um, on this game now as he always will be but because this is the exact kind of game Sheffield United probably need right now a team that has lost a few games and uh, it's a bit of a scalp mm. for them potentially you know a massive scalp it could just you be the kind of game that turns their form around. And um, I think Leicester will probably be a little bit nervous about this. I know it sounds weird because, you know, they've not won a single game yet, definitely United, and they sat at the bottom. But it feels like sometimes when your chips are down, everything kind of goes wrong for you. And both teams will feel a little bit that way. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a little bit cautious. Both teams are... Uh, a bit underwhelming in how they approach the game but it could be that a single goal goal decides it either way and it could be a case of just who is who is which team's a little bit more confident in the moment to kind of get the victory
2: Yeah, I mean, Sheffield United have actually officially made the worst start of any side in Premier League history. Apparently, their single point from 10 games is the worst that's ever been recorded in the Premier League era. So they have got it all to do over there at Bramall Lane. Time for another quick break here on Football Social Daily. Still three Premier League fixtures to preview after this.
0: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hear the latest Premier League news for your team. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back to the
2: podcast. This is your Premier League preview show here from Football Social Daily. Don't forget to hit subscribe to the podcast and that way you won't miss another episode of the show again. New podcasts every single day of the football season and that includes right throughout Christmas as well. So make sure you hit that subscribe button as I say. Time to talk Manchester City now uh, as they take on Fulham this weekend. Three o'clock kick off the traditional slot on Saturday. Um, City have been accused Stephen of going wrong creatively. Is that fair as, uh, as an assessment seeing as obviously you're a Big City fan. You create content. You watch every game. Is that the key problem for City at the moment, creatively?
1: Yeah, I mean, before the Burnley game in the Premier League, it had been our lowest goal-scoring start since the Stuart Pearce' reign. You know, so that was a, <laughs> that was a bad season. I've still got PTSD from that. <laughs> well,
2: um, if you got David James coming on up front as a well, sub, I mean,
1: the, <laughs> yeah, the, the P literally stands for Pearce Traumatic. So you know, so like it was really bad, unfortunately. But I mean, City looked like a team. Uh, for a while, post David Silva and a team without a striker for a while. Um, I'm not overly concerned because, I mean, the one thing you don't you associate Guardiola's sides with lacking is creativity and mm. goals. I mean, it'd be, it'd be naive to presume that that's the new norm now and that City won't start scoring goals. And indeed, actually, to be honest, against Burnley, we bagged a whole bunch, which is always good. We always score five against Burnley, literally always do. Um, so that was nice. Um, and to be honest, even though we drew um, against Porto, Uh, we created an awful lot of chances midweek as well, which is kind of nice to see. And they weren't just like long-range shots. Um, And I think the City will start to find a bit of creativity, hopefully. I think Guardiola knows that certain players haven't been performing. And it feels like the past couple of weeks, his tone has changed a little bit. Mm. Um, He he used to be quite he quite famously said to City fans anyway, not literally City fans, but City fans will remember this, after the two back-to-back Premier League titles, he said, the players have earned my respect now and, you know, I'm going to be a little bit easy on them because I trust them and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that that got some alarm bells going off among City fans. And uh, last season was underwhelming. And about two weeks ago, he just, no, he turned around and said, if players now think they're being rested um, when they're rotated, they're wrong. Um, so essentially he was saying, uh, whoever plays now is because they deserve it, and if on the bench is because they don't deserve to be there, right? they don't deserve to be starting, which felt like such a, a big moment for us as Blues because we're like, finally, you know, he's actually leaving people like Sterling. As much as I love him, Sterling's had a really poor start to the season, and uh, mm. people are like no one should be guaranteed a spot in the team. And it did feel like previously, the past year or so, they had been that. I understand why Sterling scored loads for us, but no one, no one in that accurate forward line should be untouchable at the moment because no one's played great, and um. It feels like it could be bad time for Fulham. Like uh, we could have hopefully just turned the corner creatively.
2: Yeah, I mean Riyad Mahrez bagged a hat trick against Burnley, but as Stephen rightly says, Mark, they always score five past Burnley. I think that's the third time in a row that they've done it now. Fourth time, fourth time is it? Wow, that's unbelievable.
1: first teams it's
2: 1907 to do it which is yeah. <laughs> what a stat oh amazing yeah. um but certainly Mahrez has been getting a fair amount of stick mark recently apart from those obviously who support him over in Algeria that love his every single move um is he too greedy is he did he do enough against Burnley to earn a start is he the answer
3: I think he'll start um and I think yeah he's he got a hat-trick so I don't think you can really argue if he do, if if Pep does choose to start him um like steven has been mentioning there Pep's been a, a little bit harder on the players in public um, the past couple of weeks and one part of that is he's, he's been saying that if you score you'll play uh, so Mares is Morris is in as far as as far as that goes. I'm, I'm it's like Garth criteria. Crooks' <laughs> team of the week. You School, you're in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, we, we need it now. We need it. Trust me. So <laughs> maybe maybe Garth Crooks has been onto something this whole time, and now Pep Guardiola is following in his <laughs> way Who knows? Um, yeah. No, I, I think City the the creativity thing is is interesting. I think like with City, nothing. Whenever there's a problem with City, it's not a simple one, and just because. What the, what they do in the history of the club as well, but especially with Pep, I think, because what he does, his system, it's just so complex that like it almost like total football, it just corrupts totally. If if something goes wrong, um, mm. it, it can be really hard to to set it right. And I think what he's tried to do this season is is try and balance a little bit and not get caught on the counter so much like we saw them do in Lyon and we saw them do. Against Wolves and Liverpool and other teams last season, why they lost mm. ten games in the end, I think it was or nine. Um, yeah. So he's tried. He's tried to write that a little bit, and that's had a that's had a side effect. Um, I'd be interested to see. I, I'm, I, this sounds really sad, and it's it's generally really only for fantasy football reasons. But I'm interested to see whether he starts Mendy again at left back tomorrow um, instead of Coachello. I think he will. You think he will? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, I think
1: he- he was rested midweek and he felt like a, yeah. almost like a reward, you know, because I honestly think he had been pretty good as well in those two games. More just what what he... Uh, the natural width he provided I think has been really useful because mm. what we've got then is of like you've got players actually... You know, when you get that whip, you get space in the middle, don't you? Basically, yeah. more players in the boxes results So, I think he's just presence on the pitch as someone who wants to be wide has been useful. So, I think Guardiola hopefully has noticed that. So, I think he's almost certainly mm-hmm. going yeah.
2: Yeah, nice to start. Yeah, he's made of paper mache, though, unfortunately. And, and, for him. and he scored.
1: He in scored against it. Burnley. So, if you score, you're in. So, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh,
2: <laughs> what about Fulham, though, Mark? I mean, can they see this as a bit of a free hit? They beat Leicester last time out, after all.
3: Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, if, if you're Scott Parker and you're looking at those three games, I know that so you have Leicester and the City and I think they've got Liverpool at home the week after. Um, and you probably look at that block and you think, well, <laughs> given our form this season, if we get one point from those, I'll be happy. And he's already got three. So to that extent, yes. But also when you're in the position that Fulham are in, you you want to build momentum and he'll probably feel quite unfortunate that he's he's got a win and then he's, he's running into the Second best team in the league from last season and, and the champions last season. So, uh, from that side of things, it's, it's a little bit unfortunate for them. But I'm, you know, having fought a few weeks ago that Fulham were doomed, um, I am f- way more encouraged on them than I ever expected to be now. Like, if you look at that team, the defence has completely changed from the one that let in so many goals in their opening three games. Um, Lookman looks really. You know, whether whether he's going to get 10, 15 goals this season is, is another question, but he looks like a, a real outlet for them on the counter. And mm. uh, they've got Zambo and Gwieser in midfield. The I thought was really good against Leicester. So yeah. it suddenly looks like they've put a team together that is, is capable of putting up a challenge and they're already outside the relegation zone. And, you know, who's to say that there won't be three teams that are worse than them this season?
2: Yeah, I mean, I said this earlier this week on the podcast that if Fulham can just stay within touching distance... um towards the springtime then they're definitely in with a chance of staying up in the Premier League can't write anything off just yet although the statistics are certainly in Manchester City's favour they've won 35 of their last 39 home matches against promoted Premier League teams and they drew the other four so they are on course to be 40 home games unbeaten against promoted opposition which is a pretty cool stat. Moving on to Turf Moor now where Burnley take on Everton that's the early kick-off on Saturday the dreaded 12.30 kick-off time Jurgen Klopp quakes in his boots whenever he sees Liverpool uh, picked for that time slot. Um, For their Merseyside opponents though Everton Carlo Ancelotti's side need to find some consistency again, Stephen their run in after this game over Christmas actually looks really tough they've got Chelsea Leicester Arsenal Manchester United Sheffield United and then Manchester City in their next six games after they face Burnley that's going to be tough so you're going to want to get three points under your belt here against the Clarets before you embark on that run
1: yeah definitely I mean it, it, it all started so promisingly didn't it for um, Everton they're already happy and to be honest a couple of results recently have probably not really been good enough you know the particular, the losses against, uh, you know, Newcastle, uh, Southampton, Leeds. They I mean, you have got battered by United as well. So it's been a, a really, really. It's kind of uh, so far. It's been like a, a season of two halves, isn't it? An excellent start, really poor second half of the first quarter. If that makes any sense. But um, yeah, it's underwhelming. This though, they really should be winning. This shouldn't they? I mean, Burnley. Mm. Um, obviously, it's Burnley. You never know what they're going to do. But they were pretty abject against City um, last weekend. And Everton surely, surely should be beating this. Otherwise, there'll probably be some Burnley fans who are, not sorry, Burnley fans, Everton fans who are a little bit kind of uncertain because they've lost four out of the last five you know, in the Premier League. Mm. That's a lot. And if they don't get a victory against Burnley, I'm not saying everything's going to happen, but it, it will be a little bit, there's, there'll probably be some alarm bells going that it feels like that sense of deja vu will kick in, basically, you know, given yeah. Yeah, mean, everything they've been through in the past. And, um, this is a big game for them. They need this. They really need this result. Because he said Chelsea, Leicester, Arsenal, United, City coming up, and that they, all of a sudden they could be end up being 14th or something like that. You know, 14th, 15th um, with a bad mm. run of results. And after that, I mean, has will be questioning himself. So it's going to be interesting to see.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you talk about Burnley and their result against City last week. It's like turning up to your six-monthly appointment at the dentist, isn't it, when Burnley (laughs) play Manchester City? They're just definitely dreading it every time it rolls around. That's surely going to have knocked their confidence mark. Uh, They remain second bottom. But a win and other results going their way as well could see them out of the bottom three. So you know, Sean Dyche isn't going to be able to dwell and sort of wallow in the misery of that 5 0 loss. He's going to need to dust his players off and tell them to really give it a good go at home against Everton.
3: Yeah. Um, I wish I went to the dentist that often. I really shouldn't try and. Yeah, same, <laughs> um, uh, Yeah, no, I think whether they've lost confidence, I think, you know, to, a, to an extent, and especially given the history that you might have always expected to be on, on the end of a heavy one at City last week. And so. I don't know if that will necessarily affect them too much, but um, it's it's a similar thing with Sheffield United and probably another team we're going to discuss later. I, I just feel with Burnley, you just don't know where the goals come from. And it's it's a bit of an easy thing to say about teams that are struggling, but it really is can be that basic sometimes. Um, you know, they've scored mm-hmm. four in ten, two in the last eight. They, they take the lowest shots in the league. And you try and think, you try and pick out a player within the team who is going to be the creative hub if you like and you think well they Mm. probably get a bit more out of Dwight McNeil than they've got this season I think most of the rest of the time they rely on like the fullbacks or Ashley Westwood or someone like that it doesn't it doesn't scream goals to you it doesn't scream like you're gonna be able to recover really from from the poor start that you've made now I'm I'm setting myself up for a fall there because Burnley we've seen this from them before where they might go on a go on a, a really poor run and then they'll Carry out they'll, they'll grind out a few one nils, or they'll go on an eight game unbeaten run, and suddenly they're out of trouble. And Sean Dyche mm-hmm. always has that ability to do that. But there's just a few more questions there this season. I think they've got they've got the whole issue of the takeover at the minute. Um, quite exactly yeah. what's happening with that. You, you've had problems between Dyche and the board during the summer um, over transfers. It's a pretty old team as well. Uh, they haven't really tried to like regenerate and bring in a few fresher, younger players. So. Um, I don't know if it's time to get concerned yet, but we're just discussing Fulham. You know, if if they can kind of pull away from that little pack, suddenly you know we've got three teams in the relegation zone that look cut adrift of everybody else, and it and it starts to become difficult to to know how they're going to get out of it.
2: Mm, yeah, Burnley have got it all to do already in the Premier League this season. They take on Everton 12.30 kickoff on Saturday. Although games between Burnley and Everton, and there've been twelve of them in the Premier League era, there's never been a draw. So maybe that's one for you guys if you uh, fancy a little flutter down the bookies, back the draw. Um, the last game we're going to talk about: West Bromwich Albion against Crystal Palace. Now, if you could tailor make a game to be bottom billing of our podcast, it would probably be West Brom against Crystal Palace. But there we go. It's the uh, the lunchtime offering on Sunday, 12 p.m. kickoff. Um, Crystal Palace will have Wilfred Zaha back. Stephen, he's been quarantining after a positive coronavirus test. Although I'm getting a bit fed up because whenever we talk about Crystal Palace, we always talk about Wilfrid Zaha. He's always the forefront of the narrative, whether he's in the team or out of the team, whether he's staying put at Crystal Palace and signing a new contract or whether he wants to go to another club for 80 million quid. You know, the fact that he's been self-isolating for two weeks and he's not been available. And yet every time we talk about Palace, we're still talking about Zaha. It's getting a bit laboured now. I just think they need another superstar. As good as Wilfred Zaha is for them, they lacked a bit of a cutting edge without him over the last couple of games. But certainly it feels that someone else soon is going to need to step up and take on that superstar role.
1: It could be uh, easy. Is it Ezzy? Ezzy? easy Easy? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but he seems like a really exciting young player. You know, I've got a, I know a um, few people are quite excited by him. Uh and it could be him, but you're right. You know, to be honest, everything about Palace always feels familiar, doesn't it? You know, when you, you you stare at that lineup, it's almost like, well, they feel like they've all been there for years, and it's 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 a very it's a massive sense of déjà vu with Crystal Palace. I mean, um, and it could be a season as well where they kind of start to look over the shoulders a little bit and go, well, we're not that far up. You know, obviously there's, there's still I mean, a they're, few se- points they're seven then, points
2: clear at the moment, Stephen, but yeah, they feel yeah. like a limbo club. I know what you yes. mean. They're, they're not good enough to finish in in the top eight. They're not bad enough to go down. They just feel like they're stuck in the yeah, middle. Yeah, I
1: mean, and, and to be honest, that well, that's the danger because we fought the same at Burnley, didn't we? And look where Burnley are currently. And like, so I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you, you wouldn't be surprised at the same time mm. if they went and lost four out of the next five or something like that. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, a couple of teams get a win, Fulham start picking up some points, and it's not—it probably won't happen. But Palace are very much, yeah, they need a little bit of life that isn't Wilfred Zaha. I mean, that's probably a fair thing to say, and maybe it could be as a, it could be him. He seems like a really exciting little player, but. Um, it's just very hard and uh, to get excited by Palace, isn't it? Um, and I don't think that's unreasonable either. Uh, it's just um, they are there. They are relatively decent what they do. They're organised. Roy Hodgson kind of knows how to keep them up. And there's something to be said for that. You know, they obviously haven't got the budget of other teams. Um, they simply haven't got that. Um, and to be honest, you know, they might be missing some of the fans as well because obviously, you know, Sellers Park is a famously pretty intimate you know, stadium. It's good for that. Um but I think they'll probably be relatively okay with their start. It's just all right in it. You know, they've only won two less games than Spurs, you know. Which <laughs> is crazy, you know. Like I mean, once again, it's a good example where the table's so tight. Um I even they're, okay, they're eight points up, but you know, they've won four, Spurs have won six and um I know they've lost a lot more, but it hasn't been that bad a start. It's just um it's just palace, isn't it? You know
2: yeah Palace. well, they can't keep a clean sheet Crystal Palace. That's the one thing I've noticed only Sheffield United and Burnley meanwhile have conceded fewer than West Brom, so I mean, where's your money on this one, Mark? I mean it doesn't sound that exciting as we've mentioned, but West Bromwich Albion might have a little bit of confidence after picking up a victory against Sheffield United last time out
3: yeah to be fair and they they looked um certainly a lot more impressive going forward against Sheffield United than they had him they had in previous weeks and they came. You know, pretty close to to getting a result at Old Trafford, but I, I, you know, having again, I feel like I'm saying the same thing. But you look at them, and I think I think they've got seven goals or something after ten games. You you just need to be doing a bit better than that uh, in order to to keep your head above water and. Their their options up front, Carl and Grant. He had a decent record in the championship last season. Uh, Cam Robinson, an, another one who's got championship pedigree, but really unproven at this kind of level. And then even in terms of creativity, it kind of all rests on on Matish Pereira, I should say. Um, and they just need a bit more from him, uh, or they need somebody else to be able to supply as well, because otherwise, you you just simply aren't, especially against teams like Palace as well, who, you know. Palace will go into this game feeling like, you know, this is a chance of three points here and three points that they desperately need. But they aren't going to open up. You're still going to need somebody in there who's going to have a bit of guile on the ball and be able to unpick a defence. So I, I yeah, I, I really struggle with them. They're in that they're in that group, like we just talked about, Burnley and Sheffield United as well, where you you do fear that they could easily get cut adrift if um, if given that Fulham have, have seemed to improve of late. Um the one thing I would say for West Brom is that um their keeper, Sam Johnson, he's he's ex United and he's he's looked really good this season. in terms of like just a goalkeeper who prevents things from being as bad as they could be, if you like. You know, Sheffield United had a, had a quite a lot of chances last week and and he managed to keep them out and, and come away with a clean sheet. So I think he's their one saving grace and and maybe, you know, if, if his if his form picks up and they can maybe do a bit of business in January in terms of on the attacking front, then they've got a chance. But um, it's difficult I, I, I don't I don't know this it screams no no this one doesn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why we're discussing it last on the podcast it screams yeah
2: in- indeed Jake Livermore and Kieran Gibbs both available again for West Brom though after recovering from coronavirus or serving their period of self-isolation uh, for Roy Hodgson the Crystal Palace manager he can actually equal Harry Redknapp and Sam Allardyce's record of most Premier League wins against a former club with 11 (laughs) the most throwaway statistic of today's podcast and probably a good place to end because otherwise we'd be talking about the old boys club hodgson redknapp allardyce pulis oh bruce they're all still in a job that's it for today's Football Social Daily don't forget to hit subscribe and that way you won't miss tomorrow's review show with Fergal Brennan all the fixtures of course reviewed uh, and do keep across all the podcasts that get released every single day of the week because we do try and keep you in the loop with all the goings on in the Premier League even if there is midweek games Champions League fixtures Europa League you name it will be across it go and check out the website as well sport-social.co.uk but that's it for today's show my thanks Mark cheers mate cheers thanks very much Stephen no worries enjoyed it don't forget to hit subscribe as I say, and we'll speak to you again soon.
0: Football social daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at the Sports Social.
1: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now you wanna
0: get mixed up in the family business?
1: Introducing the Godfather at choppacasino.com